Welcome to Bed Crime Stories Podcast. I'm your host, T. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, bed crimers. As always, I wish you the best. To anyone new here, a warm welcome. Thank you for checking out my channel. Let me just ask that after listening to or watching this video, if you learned something or enjoyed it, please do me a favor and smash that like button. Now, let's dig in. The defendant in the Idaho 4 case, Brian Koberger, attended another court hearing today. This time he was wearing a black suit with a black tie. The only motions mentioned were what's called compel of discoveries. Judge John Judge heard only one argument from Ann Taylor, the public defender for Brian Koberger, although he was supposed to hear a total of four motions today including a request from the defense to release the grand jury materials. Taylor mentioned the defendant's first motion to compel, which was filed on May 4th of 2023. Taylor said the defense has requested a great deal of material from the prosecution, but none of it has been given. She said, quote, We've come to an impasse in several areas, end quote. According to request number 160, the defense asked for the training records of three police officers. Of the 120 officers involved in the investigation, Taylor said the three in question conducted critical interviews with critical witnesses and made decisions about evidence. She said, quote, we're not requesting training records for all officers involved in this case. According to Taylor, one of the officers interviewed a witness at the scene of the crime. Another interviewed a witness that is expected to testify at Koberger's trial. And the third officer conducted a dozen interviews with key witnesses and attended the victim's autopsies. Taylor said if and when these officers take the stand, they will speak about their training and experience, which is why the defense needs copies of those training records. Taylor also requested a copy of the report from an FBI examiner who told Moscow police officers to be on the lookout for a white Hyundai Elantra. Taylor told the judge all of these, quote, critical records are necessary to prepare Koberger's defense. She went on to say, these are things we need to have. There's a heightened standard now that the state has filed intention to seek the death penalty. At that point, the senior deputy prosecuting attorney for Lataw County, Ashley Jennings, argued that everything Taylor said is pure speculation and Koberger's defense team has all the evidence the state has, which includes 13,000 pages of reports, 13,000 photos, 10,000 tips, 51 terabytes of information. Jennings then added that the officers in question would not be witnesses and would not be called to trial. Additionally, she claimed the defense has not said why the three officers' training records are critical to the case. However, Jennings did say the defense would receive a copy of the FBI report by July 14th unless there's a reason the department can't provide it. And at the end of the day, 
Judge Judge said he will look at the case law before making a decision about sharing the court records. That second request for the report from an FBI examiner was for all information from the FBI cellular analysis survey team, which would include Koberger's phone records and the FBI forensic examiner's report. And while all of that was going down at the courthouse over on King Road in Moscow, Idaho, disaster response teams were beginning to remove additional personal items from the crime scene house. That sort of surprised me because I was under the impression that that the families had already gotten pretty much everything they wanted out of the house. By the way, Steve Gonsalves, Kaylee's father, said it was, quote, a relief that prosecutors are seeking the death penalty against Brian Koberger. The other pieces of information we heard about today are that Brian Koberger's father, Michael, called the police on his son nine years before this crime. Court records obtained by ABC News reveal that Mr. Koberger, meaning Brian Koberger, was arrested and charged with stealing one of his sister Melissa's cell phones back in 2014. At that time, he would have been 19 years old, and he had recently left rehab for his addiction issue and had returned to the family home in Pennsylvania. The story goes that on February 8th of 2014, Brian stole the $400 iPhone and paid a friend $20 to pick him up and take him to a local mall where he then sold it for $200. When confronted by his father Michael over the theft, Brian chillingly warned his dad not to do anything stupid, according to court records. That's when his father reported the incident to the police. Brian was then arrested and charged with misdemeanor theft. You have to give Michael Koberger credit for that because it could not have been easy for him to call the police on his son, knowing that he would get him arrested and charged with a crime. Granted, a misdemeanor, but still a serious charge. He didn't serve any jail time, and his record now appears to be expunged under Monroe County's program to clear the records of first-time offenders. Boy, oh boy, you wonder what would have happened if he would have not had that record expunged. I'm assuming they would have taken fingerprints. I don't think they would have taken a DNA sample from him. I found this online about Pennsylvania. It says, quote, a 2018 amendment to Title 44 of the Pennsylvania Consolidated Statutes that recently went into effect requires people convicted of felonies, first-degree misdemeanors, and certain second-degree misdemeanors to provide DNA samples. And this article was dated March 29, 2023. So I don't think they would have taken a DNA sample for this crime time back in 2014. What this sounds like to me is that the rehab wasn't quite working because when an addict is released and they start stealing things from their family members, phones, medication, money, anything they can pawn, that's usually a sign that they're planning to go out and get some drugs. I say that because I have a family member who did that exact same thing. Now, I don't want to generalize. Not every addict or recovering addict behaves the same way. 
I do feel very sorry for Koberger's sisters, both of them, because they have probably been victimized in a sense by all of his behaviors over the years that have affected the family. The addiction, stealing of their possessions, having to watch their parents suffer as they see their son dabbling in these serious illicit drugs, fearing that their intelligent son is going to go off the rails, destroy himself and his life. My heart goes out to all the victims' families, and I consider the Kobergers also victims of this crime. On a happy note, Zana Kurnodal's family is planning July 5th to be Zana Palooza Day. July 5th would have been Zana Kurnodal's 21st birthday, and to celebrate her, her family is asking that we all do acts of fun and spontaneity. Her sister Jasmine wrote, she had the most love for living each day to the fullest, creating memories, gaining new experiences, being silly, and of course for all those around her. It's these memories and lessons the family wants to share with the community, which is why they're inviting everyone to celebrate Zana Palooza. They wrote, do something fun, try something new, and embrace spontaneity this July 5th, whether it's silly, thrilling, or anything in between, you're encouraged to make new memories while remembering the vivacious young woman Zana was. If you share on social media, use the hashtag Zanapalooza and encourage others to join in and be a little goofy. That's all for today. I hope you guys had a great day, a great evening, and I'll see you next time on Bed Crime Stories. Hey, if you enjoyed this, do me a favor, smash that like button. It really helps so much and it's free.